Well, today we're continuing our series, SOS, God, I Need Your Help. So far, we've talked about fears, frustrations, faith, and today we're going to be talking about finances. So I have Dakota Burke here. Uh, Dakota's been coming to our church now for four years, um, and he volunteers in the sound booth and plays the cajon for the young adults and special events. Um, He is a a suite attendant at American Airlines Center, and um, he is an avid sports enthusiast. Okay, very much so. And he is currently um, getting his uh, degree in communication. He is almost done, so that's really exciting for him. So Dakota, I'm going to turn it over to you. Will you tell everybody about your financial experience? Yeah, so we're going to start in 2016, um, about 22, 23 years old at the time. Um, I have multiple jobs, and financially, you know, we're adults. We have bills to take care of, right? So... You know, I'm working these jobs and I'm paying these bills, but I find myself at times struggling to pay these bills. And it gets to points sometimes where I'm having to ask my parents, who, by the way, aren't made of money, (laughs) to help me out with these bills. And to me, this may be the wrong word, but it felt degrading to me that as a 22, 23-year-old man, to go and ask my parents for help when they have their own things they need to take care of. I didn't like it. I felt bad. Every time I was like, look, you know I don't like to do this, but... And it was a struggle. So, you know, one day, and I prayed about it a lot about my finances, but one day I got an answer from God, and I would ask him, you know, God, help me with my finances. Help me with the struggle. And the thing is, when you pray to God, he'll tell you yes, he'll tell you no, He'll say, just be patient, it's not your time. But the answer I got was, I'm trying to help you, but you're not doing your job. Excuse me? What? (laughs) What do you mean? What are you talking about? And that just baffled me. And finally, I came to the realization of what that was. I have always been, or I used to be, I used to be a picky and choosy tither. And it would mostly be, no, I have enough money to tithe. I guess I'll tithe this week. A month will pass by, and then I finally decide to tithe again. And I decided, you know what? 2017, I'm going to be a consistent tither for the first time in my life. And that is what happened. In 2017, I tithed consistently. So when 2018 came along and I got that you know, letter you get from the church about your giving for your taxes and everything, that thing was two pages long. Which is a miracle because if I got to three quarters of a page, I was doing really good at the time. So to get two pages was great. And you keep fast forwarding to this year. I made for the first time a faith promise to give to missions a certain amount of money. And I can tell you right now that I'm a fifth of the way there. And I'm really excited about that. So not only am I tithing consistently, but now I'm giving to missions consistently. Pretty much whatever I tithe, I give to missions sometimes more, sometimes less. And what has happened when I finally decided to be faithful to God, he's been faithful to me. And as she mentioned, I'm a suite attendant at the American Airlines Center. That happened a month ago. That's a promotion for me. Because I used to work in the kitchen in the suites delivering food. Now I make people deliver the food to me. (laughs) And And basically the way you look at it is think of like a waiter for tables but now I do it for suites and I deal with rich folks so there's a lot of potential to make really good money there (laughs) but 
saying all that, what it's done is, like I said earlier, because I finally decided to be not just faithful to God, but be obedient to him when it comes to giving and when it comes to tithing, I finally started doing my job, and I'm seeing the fruit of that come forward. And before I, before I get out of here, I really want to say something to the youth and young adults because I relate to you guys more. Listen, when pastor's up here talking about that first fruits, talking about that, you know, talking about tithing, your money is not being wasted here. Your money's being used for missions. Your money's being used to, to create a new lobby. It's creating a new experience. It's, go, it's being used for good things. And so when you get paid, when you have a job, if you have a job, don't use that money to buy the newest iPhone, the newest Xbox game. Don't go and waste it. If you have the push pay app like me, you get on there, and in 15 seconds, you just tithe to the grace place. Because what Pastor says a lot is that 90% that you keep after you give that 10%, it goes further than the 100% if you kept it yourself. You know, when, like when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, but he made it work, and he not only made it work, but it satisfied the people, it's the same thing with your finances. He takes that 90%, and he makes it more useful to you than if you kept all that 100%. So be wise with your money. Be faithful with your money. Be faithful to God, because I'm one example of many. He'll be faithful to you. Man, I can't say anything else. Thank you, Dakota. Thank you. Well, all I have to say is ditto. <laughs> what he said, amen? Hey, somebody's listening. Somebody's listening. Not everybody's listening, obviously. Somebody is. And I know that somebody, because I'm talking about finances, somebody's going to say something about it. But you're going to do that again? Yeah, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. Until it finally gets through the thick skulls of some people. Because I'm trying to help you. Amen? Trying to help you, and God's helping some people, and it's exciting. Amen. Well, today we're looking in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 10. Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, For the love of money, say the love of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Well, we're in our fourth week of our series called SOS. We understand that the SOS signal is a universal distress signal sent out in times of emergency. Well, today we are sending out an SOS concerning our finances. I want to begin this morning by, by giving you some staggering statistics so that you will understand the seriousness and the financial problem that America is in today. But it's not just America, but it's also in the church as well. Hear these statistics. 80% of Americans are in debt. 80%. The average American today spends 17.5% of their income on the interest they pay on their debts. 17.5% gone before they even get started. Over 50% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency. The average credit card debt in America today is $16,000. 56% of Americans today spend more money than they make. 
Financial problems is the number one cause of divorce. Financial problems is the number one source of stress. I don't know about you this morning, but I believe somebody needs to send out an SOS signal. Now today I'm going to share four things with you about finances. Now this ought to be an hour teaching, but I'm going to do my very, very best to give it to you in the next 25 minutes, so you better hang on. Let me begin today by talking about the purpose, the purpose of our finances. What is the purpose of our finances? Well, obvious, number one is to provide, to provide for our needs and for the needs of others. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 Paul writes, and he says, my God shall supply all of your need according unto his riches in glory. Listen, God wants to have, God wants us to have all of our needs met. He doesn't want us going without the basic necessities of life. We all understand what the basic necessities of life are, right? Food, clothing, shelter, golf. Hey, notice Philippians 4.19 says that God will supply all of your need, not all of your greed. But 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says that God not only wants to provide for our needs, but he wants us to use our surplus not to buy a bigger house, not to buy a fancier car, but to provide for the needs of others who are unable to provide for themselves. What is the purpose of our finance? Well, number two, to prove our priorities. Prove our priorities. See, see how we spend our money says a lot about us. See, our money habits tell off on us. See, our money habits don't lie. People lie. Money habits don't lie. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus said where your treasure is or where your money is or where you put your money, he said that's where you will find your heart. In other words, Jesus said that we spend our money on what we love. See, you don't have to tell me what you love. I know what you love. Just give me your, just give me your finances and I can tell you what is important. I can tell you what your priorities are. I can tell you what you're in love with by where you spend your money. See, if you say you love someone or you say you, so, you love something, but you are unwilling to spend any money on them, you are lying. Let me help you out a little bit, sweetheart. Listen, listen, if that boy that you're dating, if he tells you how much that he loves you, but he's unwilling to spend any money on you, he's lying. Move on. Let him go on down the road. He's not for you. Third purpose for our finances, and that is to propagate the gospel. In Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, Jesus said, go into all of the world and preach the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it goes on to say, how can they call on him unless unless someone sends a preacher to preach the gospel to them? Let me ask you this question this morning. Is it fair? Is it fair? Is it right that we, that we hear the gospel every single Sunday while over half the world has yet to ever hear not even one time an adequate presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that right? Is that fair? Don't you think we have a responsibility to use some of our finances to finance the gospel? 
Instead of buying the latest and the greatest, instead of buying the new and the improved, oh, oh, the, you just can't live without this latest American luxury. Shouldn't we take at least some of that money and should we not invest it in kingdom work? In something that doesn't lose its value the moment that you take it off of the shelf or you drive it off of the lot. No, no, but it actually has eternal value. Let me ask you this this morning. What kind of investments are you making? And do any of these investments promise eternal results? All right, we've talked just a little bit, just scratched the surface a little bit about the purpose of our finances. The second thing I want to talk about this morning, that is I want to talk about the presumption, the presumption of our finances. You know, a lot of people have a lot of presumptions or ideas about money that are not necessarily true. And I want to suggest just three of those this morning. First presumption is that our money problems are due to the amount we have. So many people think that their money problem is due to the amount that they have. Most people think if I only had more money, all my money problems would go away if I just had more money. Well, the truth of the matter is for most people, this presumption is false. Because their problem is not the amount that they have. Rather, it is the management or the mismanagement of the finances that they have that is the real problem. fact of the matter is, some people live on a far less than they do and do quite well with it. So it's not, not how much we have, but it's what we do with what we have. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, Jesus said, Jesus said that if a person handles a little bit correctly, that they will handle a lot correctly. But Jesus said if they mismanage a little bit, they're going to mismanage a lot. Jesus went on to say, he said, why should you be given a lot if you cannot even handle a little? So stop complaining about what you have and start doing better with what you have because only when you begin to do right with what you have, only then, only then will you be blessed with more. Somebody said it like this. They said, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Notice another presumption, and that is that more money would make us happy. More money would make us happy. The truth of the matter is money can't buy happiness. Happiness is a choice. See, I've known both unhappy rich people and I've known happy poor people. Happiness is a choice. See, the problem with trying to buy happiness with money is how much money does it take? How much money does it If money can buy happiness, what is the amount? How much money does it take? How much is enough? Well, when multimillionaire John D. Rockefeller was asked the question, how much is enough? And you would think if you've got multiple millions of dollars in the bank, if you've got everything that your heart could desire, surely if you would ask somebody like this, how much is enough? They would say they had it. But when John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. And I'm telling you that we'll never get to the place in life where we will not want just a little bit more. See, all we, want is, all we want is a little bit more. No matter what we have, we still want more. All we want is what we don't have. 
I mean, we had a brand new car, and we drive it off of the lot, and we're so happy, and we're so excited with that brand new car. Oh, this is a happiness I've been looking for. And we're driving along, and then we drive up to a red light, and there's another one of the same make and model in a different color. We go, oh, I didn't see that color. See, the wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 27 and 20, he said, he said, human desire is never satisfied. Never satisfied. Our desire, our wants, our wanter works overtime. Human desire, human wants, never satisfied. I will say this, and that is, although money cannot make you happy, listen to me, listen to me, money problems can sure make you unhappy. Yeah, money cannot make you happy, but money problems can sure cause a lot of unhappiness. Notice the third presumption of our finances, and that is that our abundance is to be hoarded. Now, hear me clearly this morning. I'm I'm not preaching against saving, but against hoarding. See, the Bible talks and teaches about saving. It teaches and talks about investing. But I ask you this morning, how much security do you need? How many luxuries do you need while so many others don't even know where their next meal is going to come from? Our abundance is not so we can keep stacking it up higher and higher and higher and higher, just a little bit more. Oh, just a little nicer car, just a bigger house. Oh, we need to improve the swimming pool. Oh, 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 a little better grade of of, of steak. Oh, listen, listen, our abundance is not so that we can keep stacking it up higher, 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 higher. Our abundance is not to be hoarded. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves steal them. No, Jesus said, Store your treasures in heaven where none of this can happen. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, True godliness along with contentment is itself great wealth. Goes on to say, if you have basic necessities, be content with what you have. Wow, you can tell that the Bible was not written by a greedy American. Now, hear me clearly this morning. Hear me, please. Hear everything that I'm saying. Don't just pick and choose. Listen, I'm not preaching against having nice things. I'm not. I am saying there's something definitely wrong if we heap up luxuries for ourselves, and yet we are stingy with God, and we are stingy with the poor. There's something wrong with that. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the plan for our finances. Let me give you a financial Plan. Financial planners get paid big bucks for this. I expect a bonus after the message. We'll give you a simple plan for your finances. Pay God first. Pay God first. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits, with what's left over. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of some of your money. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12 says to bring all of the tithe into the storehouse. How much? 
Notice it's a tithe, not a tip. What is the tithe? Well, it is the first 10% of all our income. In Malachi chapter 3, it says that people who tithe, that people who, who, who when they get paid, they take the first 10% off of the top and they, and, and they sow it into the work of the Lord. In Malachi, it says people who do this have a blessing on their finances. The Bible says God promises that he will open the windows of heaven over the lives of tithers. What it says. But it goes on to say those who do not are literally robbing God. If you're not tithing, the Bible calls you a thief. I wouldn't do that. I'm too nice. But Malachi 3 says people who tithe have a blessing on their finances. And it goes on to say those who do not tithe are literally robbing God. And it goes on to say that God places a curse on their finances. But pastor, I can't afford to tithe. But member, I can't afford not to. You're not tithing? How's that working out for you? If you're struggling in this area of finances, and the majority of Americans are, and the majority of church members are. Ask yourselves, ask yourself, is my finances blessed or are they cursed? The first step in getting your financial house in order is to get out from under the curse and get yourself under God's financial blessing. Next thing you need to do and plan for your finances, that is prepare for emergencies. I already gave you the staggering statistic that over 50% of Americans today cannot cover a $400 emergency. Not $4,400. That's just a set of tires. I mean, no, your tires are going to wear out. That's just a trip to the emergency room. If you're lucky, maybe care now or something. That's just, that's just your refrigerator going out, and that'd be a cheap one, or your washing machine going out. Proverbs 22 and 3 says, the wise, say the wise, the wise foresee difficulties ahead and they prepare for them. But the fool, it goes on to say, ignores them and suffers the consequences for it. Listen, I'm going to be as kind as I can, but I'm going to be as truthful as I can. And sometimes people come to me and they want the church to help them with their emergency. And really, their emergency shouldn't have been an emergency. I can't get, my car won't pass inspection, so I can't get to work. I can't get to work. I can't get a paycheck. I need some tires. Well, you knew your tires were going to wear out. Way back there. I'm not telling you I won't help you with your tires, but I'm just saying, come on. This isn't rocket science. Maybe it is because people can't get it. 50% of Americans can't get it. 
Don't be a fool. Emergencies are coming. Your kid is going to get sick. Your tires are going to wear out. For most of you, you're going to lose your job. Aren't you glad you came this morning to be encouraged? But in America today, you are. The day when you worked for 30, 35 years for one company, got a gold watch and the gold parachute, those days are gone. They're over. The days of being loyal to workers, that's got long gone. That was another generation. That was the greatest generation. And it's gone out downhill ever since. Uh, come on. Emergencies are coming. Life happens. Get you an emergency fund in place. Start. Start with $1,000 and then grow that emergency fund to three months' pay. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, you script and you save and you have a garage sale. And you deliver pizzas on Friday and Saturday nights. Anything, everything to pull together an emergency fund. I promise you when the emergency arrives, you're going to be glad you did. Can't tell you how many people give me a text or give me a call and say, Pastor, I never had an emergency fund until I went through your financial class. I have one now. My tires just went out. Before when my tires would be, had to replace my tires, I would freak out. I would go crazy. How know what am I going to do here? But you know what? I still don't like buying tires. Still don't like spending money. And this was a girl. So girls sure don't want to buy something like that. She said, I don't like it. But she said, you know what I do like? And that is I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to fret. Amen. I had money in my emergency fund to go buy those tires. That's just one of many, many uh, testimonies. The next thing, we're building a plan for our finances. That is proportion your living expenses correctly. Proportion your living expenses correctly. Some of you need to have a garage sale. Now, I'm not talking about the garage sale I was talking about 30 seconds ago where you put all your junk in, a, in, in your garage and sell stuff out of your garage. No, some of you need to sell your garage. But not only do you need to sell your garage, you need to sell the house the garage is attached to because you can't afford the house you're living in. Your house payment should not exceed 25 to 30% of your regular take-home pay. Not bonuses, not overtime. You say, why not? Well, what, about, what if they take those bonuses away? What if those overtime goes away? So, so you need to, your house payment shouldn't exceed 25 to 30% of your regular take-home pay. Some of you need to sell your car. Well, I know you're really, I'm surprised half the church hadn't left already. Some of you need to sell your car. Why? Because you are not driving it. It is driving you. See, the, to the, the total value of every vehicle you own, including cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, anything with wheels, add all of their value together and add up all their total value and the sum total of everything you own on wheels should not exceed 50% of your annual take-home pay. See, see, for most Americans, their budget will never work. It's a vicious cycle. They go around and around and around. And, around. And, and, and for most Americans, their budget will never work because they are living above their means. They have set themselves up for financial failure by not proportioning their living expenses correctly. And hear me this morning. A house does not make a home. 
only people can make a home. And often a home is impossible to create because the people are spending all of their time and energy trying to buy a big house. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said, don't even begin to build a house until you first sit down and count the cost, the actual cost of that house. Have you done that? Do you really know what the total cost of your house is? Well, I know what my house payment is. That's not the total cost of your house. Have you sat down and... and, and uh, and counted the cost, what the total cost of your house is, what the total cost of your lifestyle is, what it costs you in time. I got a beautiful house, but I never see it because I'm spending 80 hours a week trying to pay for it. What good is it? Have you counted the cost, what it costs you in time, what it costs you in money, what it costs you in stress, what it costs you in strained relationships? We're talking about the plan for our finances. Do you even have one? Are you happy with the state of your finances? If you're not, what are you doing to change it? The last thing I want to talk about on the plan, and that is point your money in the right direction. Point your money in the right direction. Tell your money where to go instead of wondering where in the world it went. You're in control of your finances. Well, most of you are not because you've let them get out of control. But you should be in control of your finances. Point your money in the right direction. Tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And you do this by creating a budget. I knew it would be hard for some of you to say. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets with holes in let me remind you quickly of the four things, and I've given this to you several times, but I'm going to give it to you again. Remember, there's some people that have never heard any of this. But let me remind you of the four things you should be doing with your money. The first thing you should do with your money is you should sow some. Sow some. That's tithe and offering. 10 to 15% is a good place to start. Say start. Sow some. 10 to 15% of your income. Number two, you should save some. And this is the proper order. You start by sowing some, then you save some. Why? Why do you do all the work and everybody else gets all the money? Have you ever noticed that? You work all the time and you do all this work and everybody gets the money, but you don't get any of it. That's wrong. Point your money in the right direction. Sow some, then save some. Save some, 10 to 15%. Start with an emergency fund. Before you save, before you get money for kids to go to college, before you get retirement money, no, first of all, get you an emergency fund in, in, in place. Number two, then start saving, saving then. And then only after you've done that, then only then can you start your retirement. Really, you need to have all of your bills paid and be debt-free except your house before you even attack a retirement. Sow some, save some, and then spend some. <laughs> Finally, we get to spend some. <laughs> and hopefully less than you make. <laughs> and remember, you're already starting out with 20 to 30% less than what you brought home. Because first of all, you've what? 
You sowed some, and then you saved some. So now that's, you know, if you've given 20, 30% away, then you only have, what, 60 or 70, 80% left over to spend some. Spend some. Spend less than you make. And remember, big items like your house and your car, make sure they are in correct proportion to your income. And then finally, share some. But here's a thought. You can't share some if there's nothing left over. You sow first. You share out of your surplus. But there'll never be any surplus if you don't sow some, save some, spend some, share some, then finally. All right, notice the fourth thing about our finances. That is, we'll talk about the power of our finances. See, how we manage or mismanage our finances has a tremendous effect on our lives as well as the lives of others. This is one of the reasons why why I address this subject quite often, probably more often than some people would like, and I wasn't even going to do this, but my staff said, you know, when I presented this this, uh, uh, SOS series, finances came up, and so, hey, I'm going to blame it on the staff. But seriously, there's people that are hearing it for the very first time. And there's a whole lot of people that aren't doing it. Hello? Let me share really quickly. Let me suggest three things that our finances have the power to do. First of all, it can reduce stress. Reduce stress. How many know stress causes a lot of problems? See, a lot of people get divorced, not because they don't love each other anymore, but because of stress and because of the way that they handle stress. A lot of people that are divorced never would have gotten divorced if it wasn't for their financial situation and the stress that came with it. A lot of people are sick, brought on by stress and the way they handle it. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. When financial financial stress goes away, so does a lot of other problems. Number two, it can relieve other people's stress. Let me ask you this this morning. What what if you had your financial house in order which would free you up to help somebody else who is struggling in that area? I can tell you by experience, it's fun. It's literally fun to bless struggling people with a financial gift. Because I remember years ago when my wife and I were first married and starting in ministry, and and I can remember the financial struggle that we had, and ours was a lack of income. When when the offering is $15 for the week, yeah, our problem was we needed more money, amen. But I can remember, I can remember what it was like when I'd go to the mailbox and somebody out of the blue would send me $100. It was like they sent me 10 grand. I can remember when my brother laid a $500 check in my hand. Oh, man, what a blessing it was. And I said to myself, when I get in that position, when I get that place in my life and in my ministry, I'm going to be the one that sends the money. I'm going to be the one that puts it in their hand. And I want to tell you, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, it's fun. It's fun to buy a car for somebody that can't get to work because they don't have a car. Their car broke down. And you and a couple of buddies get together. And I'm not talking about buying them something off the showroom. I'm talking about an old beater, but it'll get them to work. And you're able to drive up to them and hand them the keys to the car and see their face light up. Oh, this is the answer to my prayer. It's fun. It's fun. It can relieve other people's stress, and it's fine doing that. 
And then number three, it can resource the ministry. Resource the ministry. The gospel is free. Salvation is free. But the pipeline to deliver the gospel is very expensive. See, it's our tithe and our offerings that finance the ministry. Sometimes, sometimes I stagger at the amount of money it takes to finance this place. Staggering. Staggering. It starts with a $14,000 a month payment on this property every single month. I remember when that was our total income in this church. Brother John is shaking his head. He's a former treasurer. He knows about what it was 15 and a half years ago probably. $14,000 a month payment on this property every single month. And then there is constant repair and upkeep just to maintain what we have. We're talking about a lobby upgrade. Listen, it costs thousands just to keep what we have. Just this past week, we had a $2,000 unexpected repair. It didn't get us anything we didn't already have. It just got us back to where we were. And if that ain't frustrating for a CEO of a company, Amen. And then there are all the constant upgrades on equipment and technology. Changes every day. And then there are five full-time staff and three part-time. They expect to get a paycheck. And then there's janitors to pay, and then there's secretaries and staff support, and then there's, then there's utilities, and then there's insurance, and, and then there's this, and then there's that, and then there's something else. It's overwhelming. It literally is staggering sometimes, staggering sometimes when I see what it takes to keep us afloat. The good news is some way, somehow, and I don't always understand it, but some way, somehow, there's always enough. Sometimes it's really, really close, but God is faithful. For your information, there's an eight-part series on finances, eight hours of teaching that I have taught that can be found on our website. I've only had time today to either whet your appetite or make you uncomfortable. Sometimes my job is to comfort the afflicted, and sometimes it is to afflict the comfortable. Takeaway this morning is this. Our values are revealed through the way we handle our finances. Our values are revealed through the way we handle our finances. I'm going to tell you, and some of you are not going to like this, and some of you are not even going to agree with it, but it's all right. You can, you can fix it when you're pastoring your church. But I'm helping you more today with what I'm sharing today if you'll put it in practice, I'm helping you in your life more than if I were to give you some kind of spiritual experience. Am I against experiences? No, I like experiences myself. But the Word of God is filled with practical admonition. And most of the time when we get those those Shondai moments and those spiritual experiences is because we've been so stressed because of the problems that we have created ourselves. And so what you need today is not for me to put my hand on you and let you shondai and shake a little bit. What you need to do is take this teaching, which is based on the authority of the Word of God, 
Take the plan and put it into practice. Do more than that. Get online and listen to those eight hours of teaching and then start implementing the things that is Bible-based teaching. I promise you, your life and your situation will drastically turn around.